Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Rosemary Tilly. Rosemary is the director of a company called Construction Advisor, and she was actually referred to me by one of the listeners of the podcast as someone that we really should connect with. And after doing a little bit of research, I I found that there's actually a ton of information that's relevant to the construction industry. I think it's very, very useful in terms of just the industry articles, their directories, all that sort of stuff. Now, Rosemary specializes in a few different things, but some of the items are like professional development, coaching, workshop facilitation, research services. And the item that I actually want to talk the most about during this podcast episode is organizational and personal well-being. So it's an area that I want to focus in because I think it's a really important topic to talk about when it comes to construction. Rosemary, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To start off with, I think it'd be good just to learn a little bit more about you. So can you talk about some of the roles that you've had over your career? Okay. Uh, I've had, I think to date, about five different careers in uh, education and training in information technology. Uh, and I guess the last one was in psychology. Uh, I've worked in a number of senior roles, both here and internationally, but for the last 20 years, my entire focus has been on the construction industry. Uh, In my previous life, I worked for IBM and the 3M company. I worked at a uh, university in Germany teaching English. So it's been a pretty eclectic career but I think that works to advantage sometimes. Very good. So talk to me, like what interested you to get involved in specifically the construction industry? A very good friend of mine uh, was an icon of the construction industry. And at the time when we first got to know each other, he suggested that there was an enormous opportunity for the sorts of skills that I had within the industry to come and, I guess, help people deal with the challenges that they were confronting, to have an independent sounding board um, where they could work through what those issues were and and develop some kind of sense of confidence that um, there would be, that they'd sort of get through the issues to the other side. And um, that genuinely appealed to me. And I think it's true that over time, I've come to truly love construction. I I enjoy working with the people. I respect enormously what they do. And um, as I said before, I I really don't think the, the, the rest of society truly appreciates the sacrifices that they make to do what they do. Very much. And so what is Construction Advisor? Okay, well, in the time that I've worked for or that I co-founded CA, I have specifically specialised in coaching and conducting workshops because we believe philosophically that for a project to work well, you've got to set it up right in the first place with a project kickoff. Then, depending on the length of the project, you need perhaps one or two midterm health checks. Uh, Sometimes you need to have a workshop on risk management and at the end, you really should always have a lessons learned so you can look back and reflect and determine what went well, what didn't go well, and what would we do differently next time. CA was founded on the belief that 
everyone in construction has to deal with a huge range of challenges. I mean, the, the standard ones were time, cost, quality and safety. But what we also now add to that is client satisfaction and staff morale. Whilst every project is obviously different, the commonality is that it's really easy. And as a society, I don't think we appreciate the sacrifices which go into creating the legacies which we all enjoy, whether it's the roads, the bridges, the buildings, the infrastructure. And to me, that's why our mantra, which is building things without breaking people, is incredibly relevant. CA, uh, I guess, does what it does through a number of uh, opportunities. Um, we've got a daily news feed, so we try and keep everybody up to date with what's the latest across the industry. Uh, we have an industry insights, which is like a blog where people can provide um, expert advice, you know, in articles or in editorials um, on specific theme topics. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode. We match buyers and sellers through what is the new directory of products and services. Uh, and what we're hoping to do over time is to grow that. As it gets more traction, it will, um, through, I guess, people knowing about it, will want to advertise their products and services. And as the procurement people know about it, they'll automatically come and say, oh, I need a blah, 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 and they'll be able to go and get it. Um, plus, there's a dedicated wellbeing platform, which is called Optimize Q. And that's um, something where I guess it has evolved over the last couple of years, but it's now um, we regard as being a pretty important part of that construction stable. Because mm. it's a really interesting combination, psychology and construction. Like you wouldn't think that those two things would really play hand in hand, but like talking through some of the examples that you spoke about before, maybe it'd be a good for you to explain like what is mental health and well-being because that probably ties back into what you were saying earlier. Yeah, sure. Well, what I'm noticing is, and I guess because I'm, I've, I've been coaching a lot of people now for a very long time, I don't think there's anyone who's saying that life is easy at present. In fact, the sort of comments I get is that it sort of almost feels like we're out on the open sea in a dinghy with a leaky bottom and we don't have the emergency provisions or tools that we need to kind of navigate our way to the destination we're looking for. And it doesn't seem to matter what age you are, what gender, what role or what socioeconomic group you come from. It's like we are all struggling in our own way. And to me, I guess my coaching philosophy is that I believe 100% that we have enormous potential and that every new day is a new opportunity to try and grow that potential. And 
because I'm naturally curious about understanding what we can do to deliver that, it then ties in now with what has become this incredible focus on mental health. So there, there seems to be a very good reason to, to be spending more time understanding this whole arena and coming up with effective ways to help people deal with what is life in the 21st century. I think the difference between how we look at well-being and what I notice perhaps some others focus on is that we believe it's it's five separate but interconnected elements that mental health is a result of many factors not just one or two and that is you've got to look after your body you've got to look after your mind you've got to look after your relationships you've got to look after your practical life administration and um, your inner life because they all whilst they're separate they're they're kind of interlinked and if we can understand some of these factors and manage them, um, we're in a position to Im improve them. And it's also about having realistic expectations to review and address what you believe to be the negative aspects of your life and where possible exercise some degree of self-regulation and self-management. Uh, it's also about not worrying too much over things that you can't control and not catastrophizing, you know, if something bad happens. It's about making an effort where things can be improved, but then also importantly to take the time and reflect on what's been happening. Why has it been happening? What did I do? What could I do differently? I actually feel we need as a society, because I don't think we learn it at school, education on the coping mechanisms we use to deal with what life presents us. Um, and we invoke a whole lot of possibilities and some of them are helpful and some of them are unhelpful. And, uh, you know, if you look at now, I guess, what is the reportage about what's happening during COVID, um, there are many things that we're doing which, are, which we feel are logical and defensible um, like, you know, we, we're drinking far more, much more alcohol than we used to, because at the end of the day, we're fed up with what's been happening. We've been homes, we've had to homeschool kids all day. And it's sort of like a glass of wine will make us feel better. There's nothing wrong with that, except that I suppose we've got to keep an eye on is, is that our, is that our go-to coping mechanism um, too much of the time? And are there other things that we could be doing that might be more helpful for us? Mm, yeah it's like triggered me what you said just then before as well around not worrying about things you don't have control over i feel like a few years ago one of my mentors mentioned to me that when i'm working on a project or even a role within my within my career to always be focused on like what's within my control and not to worry too much about like external things that are someone else's problem unless they request assistance and then it sort of becomes my problem. And I feel like having that focus where I'm not distracted by the outside influences has really helped me a lot in the last few years. And I feel like people sometimes get overwhelmed by worrying about things that isn't really something that's on their plate. Yeah, um, th that that's absolutely true, Mark. I think that ties in with also philosophically that I think 
we don't fully understand the, the range of factors that will affect our, our well-being and how we tackle life in the 21st century. You, you talked about we worry about things we can't control. To me, what we've got to start to do is, is look at, well, what is it about um, my personality that maybe predisposes me to worry more than somebody else? And, and what is worry based on? You know, if worry is based on fear, what am I fearful about? And, you know, fear is usually based on a perception of risk. And how do, how do I assess risk? It's sort of, you know, this is what I mean. It, it's quite, um, it's not a simple concept to, for, the, for the average Joe Blow in the street to kind of work through. But that's where I think if you can work with people who, who think laterally about a lot of this stuff, then they can sort of help you, help challenge some of your thinking, give you possibilities, different perspectives that, you know, it, it's not about you must do something, but it's about, hey, what do you think about this? Do you want to give it a go? See if it works. And if it mm. does, hey, wonderful. If it doesn't, let's try something else. Yeah, that's really good. And, and so I guess it would be good to maybe talk through some of the common mental health challenges then since we're on the topic of it that you see leaders in construction face because it's something a lot of people don't talk about it uh, but there's a lot of pressure on people's roles and, and people have different challenges so what are some of the common mental health challenges you see people in construction face yeah well I think there are probably the standard ones I think people in construction generally speaking work long hours they often have long commutes because they don't always have control over where the project site is. They've often got difficult physical conditions, um, onerous contractual obligations, which means they're often beset with um, tough budgets in tight timeframes, and yet they've still got to meet the, the obligations within the contract. Inadequate resourcing uh, and in many ways, depending on how many of those problems they've got to start with, it's like they're almost handicapped from the beginning. And as everyone in construction will tell you, if you lose time in the beginning, it's very, very difficult to make it up uh, at the end. So if you couple these workplace-related factors with the challenges people are now facing in their personal lives, you, you can see why, um, particularly the suicide rate in construction is so high. It's sort of, you know, it, it's, um, I mean, I know there are other industries. Healthcare is another one. You know, I think it's um, doctors in emergency uh, uh, wards at hospitals are probably the in the highest category. Um, but I'd have to say a lot of construction people probably um, are, are struggling to kind of deal with both the work, the combination of the workplace and external factors. And then over, over the years, safety has really become one of the key elements around almost every construction business. We want to try and have zero incidents and we want to have near misses recorded. We want to make sure that people are following checklists, uh, which everyone's compliant and, it's really a, a core KPI, I think, for, for almost most construction businesses. Do you see a similar trend happening with the mental health side as well? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, 
because in a way there was a time when safety was not accorded the priority it has today. And the results back then reflected that lack of focus. But it's been, since there's been a lot of legislation introduced, now organisations have to now educate and train staff. They've got to provide PPE. They've got to record the stats. They've got to embed KPIs into leadership reviews. It's now been elevated to the top of the SLT agendas. Um, it's, it's a very different environment, um, even to the point where now, in some cases, directors can be criminally liable for breaches of the Occupation Health and Safety Act. But we can do the same with wellbeing and mental health. Um, and I think it's moving towards that, but I think what concerns a lot of owner managers is it seems that that whole mental health space is much more subjective than physical safety. Therefore, it's how do you get a handle on it? How do we know how we're tracking and how do we know that what we're doing is, is targeted to get better results? I mean, the number of stress leave claims is obviously something very measurable, uh, whereas absenteeism may be the result of factors that are not exclusive to mental health. Staff morale may also be an indicator, um, but to, in order to determine what are the factors that are causing lower staff morale, it's not just necessarily one thing. Um, so I, I, I think in a way, um, we probably also need to help people who run businesses. I think they see mental health well-being as this big black box. And if we open it up, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be like a Pandora's box. And we're going to be having to deal with a lot of things that at the moment we can just, you know, hide under something else. Um, and where does our responsibility start and finish? And I think that's a concern to some mm. Um, owner managers yeah yeah it's definitely becoming more relevant I, i'm seeing more people talk about it uh, just in just in the last few years more people are just more vocal about mental health and i yeah. think it's only going to become more and more relevant now now talking yeah. back to the construction advisor website like you have an unbelievable amount of great content on that website so i do encourage the listeners to go have a look that it goes so deep into content that's really really helpful but Something that I did see on the website, and you did reference it earlier in, in the call, uh, was there's emo emotional intelligence, which I'm accustomed to, and I'm sort of worked through, and we'll talk about what that, that means. But then there's also optimized cue, which I'm not across, and probably a lot of our listeners maybe aren't across that as well. So what, what is the difference between uh, optimized cue, and how does it differ to emotional intelligence? Okay, um, I guess... Well, you've heard of IQ and EQ. We're pretty familiar with those yep. terms. Optimized Q is the shorthand descriptive term for a means of increasing your intelligence about how to optimize your life at home and at work. So it's kind of like what we would advocate is that people live an OQ way of life, which is where they're, they're getting the best that they can out of the environment in which they're, they're currently finding themselves. So it's, um, it was a way of, I guess, using a concept that perhaps people would relate to, but it's more a way of thinking than it is anything else, a way of thinking, a way of being, uh, a way of doing. And uh, it's, 
um, emotional intelligence is actually a subset of optimized Q because if we look at emotional intelligence, it's really about developing self-awareness, developing an understanding of others and how they operate. And then it's looking at the interaction between yourself and others. So that's a key part of optimized Q, but it's not all of it. Mm. Yeah, I don't think there's enough education in this area. I feel like a lot of people are still trying to learn about the various types of intelligence. And so is this something that construction advisor provides like training on and an assistance on? Like how do you typically engage with a business around these sort of topics? Oh, absolutely. We we have understood from the beginning that, that there are some people who regard this as a soft and fluffy topic, that um, it's, not, it's not something that they want to invest in unless they have to. Um, and that's partly because they don't understand what it involves and, and how there are some really simple things that can be done to a, give you a handle on what your um, well-being mental health quotient is within the business. So we, one of our key offerings, I guess, is what we call an OQ audit, which is where we would go into an organisation and through focus groups, and the number of focus groups will depend on the size of the organisation, we will use a framework where we can ask some particular questions of um, a representative sample of people in the business and then use that verbatim feedback to determine a score, what we call an OQ score, and offer an improvement plan to the organisation. So I guess we would set ourselves up in doing that as the experts around wellbeing. So we know what to look for, what to ask about, and then can provide that feedback back to the organisation because we're not expecting them to become psychologists overnight um, because their job is to run a business and dig trenches and build buildings and things like that. Our job is to look at how the staff are dealing with life in the workplace and are there some simple doable quick quick wins that we can create that will help staff perform better because i mean there are a lot of statistics and and you know some people love statistics some don't but for every dollar you spend on this kind of thing even the, the most minimal return would suggest you get a 14 dollar return so in that sense it's a bit of a no-brainer and the other statistic is that if you, in any organisation, typically 10% of your people will be doing 50% of the work. If you don't know who those 10 are, if, you, if we said there's 100 people in the organisation and you're not looking after them and making sure that their wellbeing is as high as it can be for them to continue to perform, then you're putting the business at risk. In fact, that's how we see wellbeing. It's, we see it more... Um, not as a safety strategy alone, but more as a risk management strategy. Wow, I didn't, I've never, I've never heard that stat before. So, ten percent of the organisation is typically doing fifty percent of the workload, or like contributing to the work. That's yeah. a that's a crazy statistic. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> to hear that, isn't it, for a business owner? Yeah, it is. And look, we've got a, you know, there's that joke about how much do you rely on statistics? But what we're looking at here is a principle, whether it's 10, if you've got a, 
um, a cohort of 100 people, then it might be more than 10 who are doing 50% of the work. But the job of the owner manager is to pick out who are those people who are really working to support the business, grow the business, who without them, the business would suffer. Mm. That's what we're talking about in regard to that principle. Mm. And there are lots of things that can be done, lots and lots of things. In fact, I use an analogy of two fish tanks. And that is that you've got one fish tank where the glass is dirty, the water is murky, the fish are in there and they're trying to swim around, but it is not easy. They either jump out because they hate it or they die. Or you've got a fish tank where the water's crystal clear, you can see the fish, they're swimming around, they're as happy as Larry, and they're performing. So we rarely think of leaders of businesses as aquarium managers, but that's kind of what they are. <laughs> it's sort of what kind of aquarium do you want to have in the organisation? Do you want to have the crappy one or do you want to have the good one? So what we've done is research what are all the things you need to put into your fish tank so that it's that latter one, not the former one. All right. So then how can aquarium managers, as we're calling them now, uh, help support their staff better with mental health? Like what can they do to sort of encourage them, make sure that they're aware and those sort of things? Okay. I, th I think there are a number of things and it does depend on, I guess, the particular uh, configuration of the business. But the key thing for me is we've got to educate people on life in the 21st century. We've got to help them to understand what is the scene in which they currently operate so we can calibrate expectations so that they're more reasonable. And then what we need to do is give them, I guess, depending on the particular circumstances that they bring forward, what are some ways that they can start to evaluate what's happening at the moment? And then with a, with a range of options, assess which option do they feel uh, motivated to try that resonates with them. Um, I guess help them understand um, how they can um, ex um, implement that. And then I guess help them also to then, if that doesn't work, to sort of think about some alternatives. So we run um, in Victoria a webinar and uh, it's called the Mental Health Toolkit. And it's a two hour webinar that typically is run on a fortnightly basis. And it's, it's fantastic because it covers a massive range of, of topics. Um, but that, the, the choice of those topics is dependent on also what people bring forward because you know, there's not much point in, in having a, a template that says, well, we must talk about this and this and this. I'd rather do it on the basis of well, what are the things you're trying to wrestle with at the moment? What are you dealing with? Um, let's, let's tailor the material around those things. Mm. Doesn't mean it's without structure at all, but um, we, we're trying to be agile, I guess, in how we look at the content of something like that. We have... We talk about how do you build in KPIs um, for managers so that in the same way that with safety, they have to go and do safety walks and task observations. Why can't we do the same thing with having wellbeing conversations? So it's about 
um, also helping people or those people who are in supervisory capacity or, or above, um, help them to develop really good conversations about wellbeing. Um, mm. Because in, a, in, an, in, a, in an industry that's still largely male dominated, um, I think there's a lot of scope for improving emotional intelligence and developing really good skills at being able to open up conversation around somewhat sensitive topics or topics that are not technical topics, which is what we're more used to doing, I think. Yeah. And then diverging into the topic of a male-dominated industry, I think it's really important that we get more and more people aware about what it means to work in construction so we can bring the next generation of, of youth through there and also attracting more women into construction as well, which is definitely happening. I've noticed there's a lot more women being involved in the equipment rental industry and construction in general. But what do you think construction businesses can do to attract more women into their organisation? One of the ways that we would suggest that businesses can start to do that is, first of all, we've got to, I guess, help women understand that they that the environment will be something that they will be able to deal with effectively so that they can grow their careers. Because I think for a lot of women, that male-dominated adversarial environment can be a bit scary. Um, so it's, it's about, I guess, trying to, to develop some confidence that if they join the industry, that there are ways that they will be able to um, deal with the particular circumstances that they will have to deal with, but also, I guess, strengthen their ability to kind of, in terms of assertiveness, negotiation skills, communication skills. And um, we have another webinar, it's called Building Girl Power. And um, in the times that I've run that so far, the women just are so hungry for this kind of information because typically they haven't had it. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's not to say that, that all women are in any, and I certainly don't mean to, to convey that all women are compliant and submissive, but I think given the behaviour of some of the more, what you might call Neanderthal managers in, still in the construction industry, um, they can, they can be, instrumental in I guess causing women to say no I don't really want to work in that kind of environment so part of what we've also got to do is skill men up to to be more effective in how they lead people and um, that 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 they use more productive measures to get the best out of people yeah I was actually watching a TikTok video about uh, a lady that was working in, in the transport industry and she was explaining to the other driver that she was with that she was thankful that he treated her just like any other employee. So when they opened up the back of the truck and they needed to load stuff off, he was giving her stuff, she was carrying things in, she was doing that, wasn't really worried about, obviously if it's a two-man, two-person two load, sorry, they would, they would sort of carry it through. And she was saying that, all the other drivers that she'd worked through so far 
they wanted to do all the lifting on their own and they didn't want her to lift it. And she was like, where does this take my career then? If I'm not allowed to lift boxes because you don't think I'm strong enough, where does that put my career in this organization? And I think when you hear stuff like that, it becomes very relevant. It's like you're putting someone in a box just because of their gender. And I think that's something that, as you mentioned, we need to get more education to, uh, to people in, in companies. Yeah. Well, I think it's both women and men who need to understand that human beings tend to behave in ways and that where there is always a reason why they behave the way they do. You know, for men to think that they'll take whatever it is, the load out of the back without giving it to her, men have grown up in a world that I call boy world where they're the ones who lift stuff out of the backs of trucks. It's not women <laughs> because they're, they're, the women in their lives have been their wives and mothers and daughters who they determined to be weaker, um, didn't want to do it in some cases. And it's like, it's almost like an automatic reaction. Um, and it's not necessarily um, meant in, in the negative way that it's, that it's often taken. And as soon as you start to talk to people about these kinds of things, so I've got a slide that talks about boy world and girl, girl world, and they're, they're, they're almost diametrically opposed, but you can see how societally we've conditioned both sides to try and conform to these stereotypes. When you start to understand that, but you understand that, hey, human nature is on a continuum, we've got women who, who are up, more the, that sort of testosterone end and men who are, are more feminine in how they act in life. And it's not about right and wrong. It's just about, you know, that, that perhaps the, the ideal for us all is to come more into the middle where we don't feel as if we have to be either one extreme or another. Mm. Yeah, um, no, I think it's all really relevant topics. And yeah, I think it's going to become more and more talked about as, as the years go on and, Hopefully BHB can get that, that achievement of a 50-50 workplace and more and more businesses in Australia and throughout the world sort of follow that sort of trend. Yeah, yeah, because women, we, we are not taking advantage of the enormous potential that they have. And um, if we create the right environment for everyone to flourish, whether it's males or females, doesn't matter, then we're going to get a workplace where we're going to perform the best and, and where well-being is going to be maximised because it's about tapping into the respective strengths of everybody um, mm. in order to get the best results, I would think. Yeah. All right, well, let's learn a little bit more about you as a person as well. So if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Oh, I find that a really difficult question, Mark. <laughs> um, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant by any means, but I, I've pretty much always taken my advice to myself. So I, I don't approach that question on the basis of if I'd taken my advice, I would have done things differently. Um, I think my life reflects a situation where I had certain goals in life, I had certain priorities, um, and I think I've pretty much managed most of the time to sort of stick to that. And maybe I've been fortunate, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I'd, 
other than that, I'd find that a hard question to answer. Mm. You actually answered that very similar to Andy Kennard. So and Andy Kennard actually mentioned that he he prefers to not worry too much about the past and what's happened and to only look at the posit- positive mindset of what's moving forward in the future. And I think that that's, that's very relevant, but obviously you need to analyze what's happened in the past so you can look at the future. So there's probably two coins to that as well, but yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if I look at the work that I do, one of the, in, when I coach people, um, particularly if people are either depressed or anxious, usually it means that they're living in the past or the future. And um, as you said with Andy Kennard, you, if you can come into the now and focus on, well, what, what, what's the situation right here and now? What can I do? Um, to me, that's the most practical, sensible approach you can take. And uh, doesn't mean you don't go back into the past for nostalgic reasons and for reminiscences and so forth, which is perfectly fine. Or you go into the future for planning you know, if you plan a holiday, then that's a lovely thing to go into the future about. But most of the time, I, I think if we stayed more in the present, we'd probably give ourselves better outcomes most of the time. Mm. And so how do you define success? Not in a material sense. <laughs> um, I would, to me, it's more about I get my joy in life from being able to help other people in whatever way that might be um and i guess given the work that i do um it's more about specifically helping them to develop their potential that to me is what is is where success lies for me and that concept of paying it forward is very important that if we make an effort in life to to give of ourselves wherever and where, whenever we can uh, without even getting anything out of it yourself at the time, then I think um, we'd all get what we needed when we need it. It's sort of like this nice big pool of karma that we all put in something and then if at any point in time in the future you need something out of it, then it might be there. seems a nice way to look at it. Um, I think if I look at the work we do specifically in construction, though, Success for me is developing a range of assets that will help the industry, that that their assets to do what they have to do faster, easier, more enjoyably, and simply because they do make all these incredible sacrifices. And if we can build over time a range of things that will help them do that, then I'll feel as if I've served my purpose. So their success will be our success, I guess. Mm. It's one of the values that I I try and live by as much as possible, which is very similar to what you said before. I I try and always give without expecting to receive, uh, and and I feel like I, I like your analogy of like this uh, karma pool. I think it's a good visual representation of what it looks like, and I think eventually, if if you if you're constantly giving to people that aren't taking advantage of you, of course eventually good things are going to happen and sometimes i think people are just a little bit impatient like they they do a couple of good things or they think they help someone out and they think the world sort of owes them something but really it's about having that as a lifestyle and i think it's just like a karma pool that gives back like as you mentioned yeah well one of the um 
I'm just, I, John Holland commissioned me to write a book in 2007. It's called You and Me Equals We. And it was meant to be a manual to help particularly the guys out on site to understand relationships. Um, because if you can develop an understanding of relationships about how to make them work, then it's going to make work on, on a daily basis a whole lot easier to transact. And um, I was, in the end, I was pretty happy with that, but it's made me think that it's about time I did another one. So I'm in the process of um, putting together another one called A GPS for Life. And it's the byline is navigating your way to improved wellbeing. And one of the first little chapters, if you like, is about, it uses the metaphor of a boat. And it says, you know, we all come into life with different sorts of boats. Some people will have an ocean liner. Some people will have a 40 meter super yacht. Some people will have a dinghy with a leaky bottom. And it's kind of, um, we, we often think in today's world that, oh, well, if I've been the one with the, the dinghy with the leaky bottom, I'm going to be worse off than the guy in the ocean liner. But often it's the guy in the dinghy who through adversity has developed resilience and then can cope with what come, the crap, the shit that comes across their plate, if you like, and be able to get, I guess, better outcomes than they might otherwise. So in a way, it's kind of, to me, if you are the guy in the, in the dinghy, then there's a lot you can help other people with because you've learnt about how to uh, deal with and overcome um, and not so much, triumph is probably too strong a word, but um, it, it sort of can perhaps foster hope and confidence in other people. And if we can tap into that experience that's constructive and life-affirming, then hopefully, you know, we'll all benefit. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. It's a, it's a really good way to end the podcast. All right, Rosemary, really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. It's a pleasure, Mark. It's a pleasure. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Artai.